All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Michael Golick Jr. That is me. With me, as always, Super Producer Brandon Newman. Uh, load Management Friday for my dad, Mike Golick Sr. He will not be with us today, so instead we have Brandon's Friday is my day, uh, Hawaiian shirt day out here. Brandon, how we feeling? <laughs> Trying to give everybody them Friday vibes. Mike, jumping into this weekend, how you feeling? I feel good. I feel like you already did one of the things that sometimes can tip me off onto the weekend. Like when I see a movie during the week, it often tra- uh. if I see a movie or if I get on a plane during the week, instantly every day after that, I feel like is the weekend and kind of messes me up. And I know you saw across the spider verse the other night. So I wanted to check and make sure that you hadn't had any uh, issues with the calendar. Mike, not only that Monday was the day that I flew back to home from the subpar oh. classic so i am all messed up this entire week it feels more like a summer than it ever has uh you know where friday could be on a monday or a tuesday or wednesday um but i don't know I'm, I'm feeling good because james harden wants to get traded again so it feels like it's like a nice resetter for reality yeah, there are a lot of things that we have to get to today. We've got a great show for you guys. As always, make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out live, DraftKingsNetwork.com. Uh, also, 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. Michael Lombardi, uh, host of the GM Shuffle podcast here at DraftKings, uh, is going to be by to talk. Uh, Vegas Stats and Information Network put out their betting guide for the upcoming NFL season, which Michael Lombardi had a great hand in there. I also want to talk to him about some NBA stuff, because if you follow Michael Lombardi on Twitter, Twitter, you have seen this man has takes and he is ready to fire them off and so with everything going on that we've got to get to right now James Harden it appears set to opt in and explore trade options with the 76ers Kyrie Irving apparently setting a free agent meeting with the Phoenix Suns which is wild and chaotic in so many ways um, and a whole bunch of gambling suspensions in the NFL we do have a lot of stuff to get to but Brandon how great was that Spider-Man movie I have been preaching the gospel to whoever will listen that Spider-Man a Across the Spider-Verse and really that entire arc of movies that will be beyond the Spider-Verse will be the next movie coming up into the Spider-Verse was the first one with Miles Morales as the Spider-Man main character in the movie. The animated version is one of the best movies I've seen in the last five or so years and franchise-wise is approaching the dependability of greatness that I have assigned to John Wick where every time I show up, I know I'm getting a great movie. I know it's an incredible formula. This movie was legitimately beautiful and I hope everyone has seen it. It was beautiful, Mike, but it's like seeing a Picasso if you don't know the style first. I feel like you have to understand the world that he lives in before you can understand why am I do I not need 3D glasses watching this film? It's like it's not animated, but it's not a cartoon, but it is animated. Honestly, Mike, the Spider-Man franchise is the most confusing franchise that any comic book series anyone's put out more confusing than harry potter uh down to the the, the sorcerer's stone like i watch 
Spider-Man movies and I walk out feeling like I just did mushrooms. So I don't know if it well, was that great for me, Mike. I was very, very confused. Like I, I really liked the first uh, Into the Spider-Verse that made a little bit more sense to me. And I, I'm also, spoiler alert, uh, To Be Continued hits you at the end of this film. And if you're not prepared for it To Be Continued, boy, is it unsettling. Yeah, that's always a delicate proposition. You saw it with your mom who hadn't seen the first one either, which is a bold choice too, to just walk into this because while I think this movie, you could enjoy it just visually if you're anyone. True. There's enough funny yes. lines in there. Visually, it is stunning. There are so many great creative things that they do with what you mentioned, the technology that's at their disposal and the style of the animation, but it's also built off of what, like many other comic book movies right now, is a multiverse idea that got brought up in the first movie. What I will say is, this is the most palatable, the idea of multiple universes has been in content for me in a while. They made it fun, they made it part of the process, but not necessarily the entire thing in a way that felt obtrusive or like a crutch, but your mom, God love her, walked into this. Your mom, a friend of the podcast, been on the show, walked yes. in without having to see the first one in a way that I, I would be like crippling to me. I would be riddled with confusion and doubt. Mike, I, I'm sure you've gone to the movies by yourself for a little bit now. And do you remember going to the movies with someone else and then kind of seeing it through their eyes and it affecting how you see the film? 100%. So that's what happened to me with this movie, Mike. I didn't even know my mom hadn't seen the first one until we left the movie theater. So I was kind of just thrown for a loop. I was like, wait a minute. Because she was the one told me she said she wants to see it. She's like, I'm going to go see Spider-Man. I was like, oh, great. That's on my list, too. I would have rather seen The Flash right now. But that's on my list as well. I'm, I was happy to see it with you. And then she had no idea why there was a black Spider-Man. And uh, then why there was also a white girl Spider-Man that was not in that universe. And then Issa Rae was the Spider-Man. Like, yes, all of that stuff was really, really fun, Mike. But now I just can't stop thinking about the multi, the alter, was the multi-dimensional versions of myself, you know, producing podcasts on other worlds, Earth 3000. Uh, you know what? It is uh, overwhelming to think about a little bit. So I'm going to walk away from it slowly, but I will say you're absolutely right. And it's why I do see a lot of movies alone that, and because I live alone and for all the other reasons, but, uh, when you have to see it with other people, I constantly find myself worried about, is this, especially if it's a movie I suggested, is this right. person having a good time? Is this person enjoying it? Do they like the movie? Their response starts to affect mine. It's a whole thing. Regardless, I would say just my personal recommendation. If you haven't seen these, the Spider-Verse movies, run, don't walk. I think they're phenomenal, beautiful. Everyone yes. will have a good time. Brandon, we will see if everyone can have a good time right now as we get ready for NBA free agency. So I would say the big, the biggest domino right now is probably what happened with James Harden yesterday right we had yeah. the will he won't he of James Harden and what he was going to do with the player option that he had for the 23-24 season and we get the news yesterday after about a month ago thinking he was going to opt out do free agency all that we get the story that Harden's exercised his 35.6 million dollar option and is now going to work with the 76ers to find a trade partner according to Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN now Brandon, you and I, uh, you know, among the many people I'm sure who on the surface might look at this and go, well, if he wants out, why would he opt in? It has to do with all of the financials, especially with the new structure that's coming into play in the new CBA where James Harden signing or uh, signing, opting into this and then being traded is going to afford the team that he ends up on more flexibility in the salary cap than if he were to opt out and sign as a free agent. So this is just clever accounting. Now that both sides, apparently Brandon couldn't come to an agreement on what an extension in Philadelphia would look like for James Harden. And it, it brings up the question now of certainly where's James Harden going to end up, but also what is Philadelphia going to recoup for this player alongside Joel Embiid? Yeah. Like, I think that's, I end up opting back there, Brandon, because when I look at the situation with James Harden and there are potential trades out there that involve him potentially going to a team like the Los Angeles Clippers, it sounds like the Houston Rockets ship has sailed. Part of that reason <laughs> why he's decided to opt in is because it sounds like the Rockets were going to go into a different direction. But Brandon, I, I tend to look at James Harden now as a player that I don't expect championship level basketball from, right? We are past the very best of James Harden. We are into a place now where between age, injury, all the things, 
we're starting to see him slow down a bit on that first step. And just in general, there's always seemed to be a half-life on his style of play once it gets to the postseason. I find myself worrying more about Philadelphia because Joel Embiid's 29 years old just coming off his first MVP. Like, he's been playing MVP caliber basketball for the last few years, but he finally got over that hump personally and is, by all accounts, a player that we believe mentality-wise and ability-wise, maybe if not injury-wise, can lift a championship trophy for you, but... What Philadelphia has consistently put around him has so far been swing and miss after swing and miss. You know, the process era with Markel Fultz and Ben Simmons that turned into fails, choosing Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler ostensibly when that decision came up, and you had Jimmy Butler in Philadelphia, and now the failed one-year Harden experiment after the Brooklyn blow-up that all of a sudden leaves them wondering what's going to happen because, Brandon, like let's take the Clippers idea for an example in this. If they explore a trade with the Clippers, I'm sorry, Los Angeles is not giving up Paul George or Kawhi Leonard. Like, I don't think that's a realistic outcome on that team, unless you're so dismayed by the idea of Kawhi Leonard and his availability that you would finally try and move off that. But I just don't see that as realistic right now. And so the return you're talking about getting does not look like high end what James Harden was going to give you even at this stage in his career. And so this to me becomes more precarious for Philadelphia, I think, than for James Harden wherever he's going to end up. And I think largely give us the same James Harden basketball experience we've gotten at every stop along the way right now. Yeah, I do feel like it's a bigger issue for the Sixers than it is for Harden because you have a big chess piece there with James Harden. And obviously, you're not going to get a, a playoff championship caliber player, but you can get a piece of a playoff team with James Harden, like a, a Fred Van Fleet, Pascal Siakam, just because I can stay up there with the Raptors, but we're not going to see an East-to-East move for, for, for James Harden from the Philadelphia Sixers, unfortunately. And I, I think what you look for is, a piece like an Aaron Gordon, another big body who can give you minutes and be an X factor on a playoff team, but also uh, another floating piece like Contavious Caldwell Pope. Like obviously, we're thinking about I'm thinking about the Denver Nuggets because they are the last championship team. But I think Embiid needs someone bigger who to play with who is also skilled. It would be interesting. The other names floated in the Harden trade idea have been the New York Knicks, which. My God, after giving your team over to Jalen Brunson and seeing all of the success that it has netted you and how strong a part of the identity of that team that he's become, the thought of now throwing James Harden in that backcourt and really wrapping the whole team's identity around him because that's kind of what happens when you bring James Harden over does not seem incredibly appealing. But Brandon, this is just one. So we're going to have this looming specter out here. But we also, it wouldn't be an offseason if we weren't mulling the future of Kyrie Irving as well. Kyrie Irving, who is also now going to test free agency, and in a very different way. So we need to look at Brooklyn's big three from this year and how it might inform what happens going forward in the NBA. Hey, Dad, what do you do when you're out with friends? The waiter comes up and tries to take everybody's order, but the whole table freezes up and everyone's looking at each other trying to find some help. Mm, that's a great question. So what, what should I do? You should have some confidence, Dad, or as our friends at Jägermeister call it, shotfidence. If everyone's having trouble ordering, here's what you do. You take charge. You grab the bull by the horns. You find that dog in you, and you make an executive decision. And just order for the table a round of ice-cold Jägermeister shots. Damn, that's cold. Because apparently, we've all been drinking Jägermeister wrong. Did not know that. How should we be drinking it? Glad you asked, Dad. We should be drinking it ice cold at zero degrees Fahrenheit. Well, that brings up other things that I love ice cold as well. And I'll tell you right out of the gate, that's going to be a candy bar pulled out of the freezer. That's my way of eating candy. Oh, I love it. On the golf course out there, you get to the turn in the middle of the round there, and you get to that little clubhouse there, and they've always got the candy bar options, and I always see they've usually got a little box of them in the freezer, and it always makes it better on a hot day out on the golf course, taking a bite of that cold, cold chocolate and getting ready to go for the rest of my round. It's the same way with Jägermeister. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice-cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume. Imported by Mast Jägermeister U.S., White Plains, New York. 
so Brandon, looking at Brooklyn's past big three, the one that just got broken up this year, uh, one of the bigger modern failures of three huge superstars that came together for a purpose. I, I think it's perfectly illustrative of the all-time vibes offseason that we're getting ready to go on right now because you had Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden all leave Brooklyn for greener pastures. KD ends up at the Suns that get bounced earlier in the playoffs than we expected. Kyrie Irving ends up in Dallas alongside Luka, and that craters famously. And then James Harden and the 76ers suffer a similar fate that the Suns did and lose earlier in the playoffs than expected, a little banged up in the process. And it's interesting thinking about their futures now, like of the three that we've got here, who with the exception of James Harden, you've got Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, already NBA champions, already guys that have hoisted hardware in historic fashion. And you wonder if any of them are really set to lift that again, right? Like if you look at that group and asks who among them is actually in position to win a championship first... I would say the easy answer is probably Kevin Durant, right? Just because he's yeah. on a team in the Phoenix Suns that's got Devin Booker. While they're going through a lot of change right now, they're only two years removed from an NBA Finals appearance. So we'll wait and see what they do with the Aiton stuff and if that ends up being a move they make under this. But it comes up, Brandon, because Kyrie Irving, apparently, as he gets set to begin his free agency, has a meeting set with uh, Matt Ishbia's Phoenix Suns to try and see if there's some possibility there and while the thought to me is hilarious, Brandon, because I was tweeting and asking people the other day what the funniest trade destination would be for James Harden, some people did throw out the Suns and this idea that if somehow, some way, the Suns just mortgaged their entire future and present, <laughs> anything that's left of their bench and their salary cap happiness going forward to just somehow reassemble Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant after they all apparently wanted to get away from each other in Brooklyn, how hilarious that would be now it's tremendously unlikely I think Kyrie is doing this to try and go and create some sort of market for himself because we've seen Kyrie Irving wants to get paid the Dallas Mavericks kind of need to keep someone next to Luka to show them that they're serious you bring someone over in a trade like that and they have a fair amount of leverage in the deal coming forward so you don't end up getting nothing but with Kyrie Irving part of what you need is another dance partner to come to the table and that's right. why I'm sure we've seen the Lakers flirtation him showing up out there these ideas that have popped up and we wonder when Kyrie hits the news who would possibly leak this Kyrie Irving's camp makes the most sense because he needs someone else to come to the table and bid so that Dallas feels like they're inclined to have to give him the max extension that he's always wanted. And it doesn't seem like it's working out like that, Brandon. Like, if I had to lay it down right now, I think Kyrie's a Mav. And I think Kyrie could end up being a Mav for a bit less than the max just because it does not seem there is an easy fit for Kyrie out there in the market right now that's willing to swing for the kind of dollars that he wants. Yeah, but that's why Kyrie has the power to end up wherever he wants to be. And he'll only be in Dallas if he wants to be in Dallas, which is just going to piss Luke off eventually. Uh, but back to your original point, I feel like KD is the easy answer to who wins the championship between that big three in Brooklyn because he is the one guy who would be the key scorer for that championship team. I think we're looking at James Harden being, you know, uh, number two or three, and also Kyrie Irving, number two or three, fingers crossed, he shows up to all the games he's supposed to be at. So, and I, I think it's not too far off to make Brooklyn, uh, Phoenix, Brooklyn West. Like, I, I feel like those guys are constantly pointing the finger at someone else other than themselves, so much so that they might think it could work again because they got another age, a uh, year under them. And, you know, the, the soul, uh, solstice happened. I don't know, whatever uh, astrology thing Kyrie's following. Maybe it's time again. It wasn't the time there in Brooklyn. It was too cold for their joints. Phoenix is perfect for him. Would you, would you actually think that would be the way it ends up? Because I think if I had to call it right now, looking at the way things are set up, Kevin Durant obviously is going to be in Phoenix with the Suns. Um, we saw the Bradley Beal intro press conference, which, man, you want to talk about a vibe. That man yeah. realizes how much better life is about to get for him. He was relaxed. He was excited. He was talking about learning to be a better catch-and-shoot guy, not getting double teams all the time, having games that mattered. He was hype. I loved that for him. So Kevin Durant's going to be there. James Harden, vibes-wise, feels like a clipper. Like, mm, 
some expectation, but an understanding that ultimately you're going to fall short because that's just sort of your lot in life and being okay with that because you can ball in a place that's got all the bright lights and the things that you want there. Like I saw James Harden, like apparently the heat as a potential trade destination. I can't think of anyone that reeks of heat culture less than James Harden. Like James Harden and Jimmy Butler together does not seem like a pairing that James Harden would enjoy. Pat Riley does not seem like the kind of boss that James Harden would enjoy, especially at this stage of his career. You're talking about heat culture within that building. What about heat culture outside of that building? I think that's right up James Harden's alley. (laughs) Uh, you know, Vice City style things uh, all up in James Harden's lifestyle. And I think there, there's a time and place for Jimmy Butler to turn it on. And that's a good enough team that you won't see any real friction until you get to the playoffs. Because that's when Jimmy uh, playoff Jimmy turns it on. There's no doubt, and maybe you could get you know the James Harden show during the regular season that nets you a few more wins. It just and like I don't want to confuse it because like the James Harden fat suit pictures and all the things that have popped up over the years. I think James Harden is a phenomenal basketball player and a hard worker in certain ways, but no one's ever thought James Harden and grinder in the word cloud that you usually think of with the Miami Heat and the way that they've been structured now. So like vibes wise, he seems more like a Clipper. Kyrie Irving seems like he's supposed to be in. Dallas and languish in a really uncomfortable interpersonal situation with Luca. And unfortunately that's about as sexy as it gets for us. Now the NBA is usually more giving of content than that. So I should probably assume otherwise, but Brandon, it just feels like the new salary restrictions and cap stuff that's going to come with this new CBA are proving to be a huge factor in how all this stuff shapes out in team building right now. Yeah. But everyone who didn't get uh, all uh, MVP vote last year, knows that they're not getting that type of money the same way that Saquon Barkley and the running backs of today know that they're not going to get that type of money. So they'll end up taking their haircuts and being where they can be used and possibly can win a championship. I The only reason I don't think James Harden ends up in Miami is because it's in the East. Other than that, I really do think that that move would work. But I, I think Kyrie is going to end up – I think Kyrie is going to end up either in, in Phoenix or or in L.A. And that's for the Clippers or the Lakers. Yeah, Kyrie is the ultimate wow factor in, in less, I think, who might want him, but overall, what number? Like you mentioned, is he willing to take less than what he can be potentially owed in the max? Because going back to his time in Brooklyn, that seemed to be a sticking point is he wanted maybe not even the money, but the respect of being acknowledged as a max player. And so would he be able to swallow his pride based on the circumstances to get to a better basketball situation rather than take the most money that somebody can afford him, which I don't begrudge because you only have but so much time to earn. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, very excited to welcome in um, one of our co-workers here at uh, DraftKings. You guys have known him from the GM Shuffle podcast as well as being a Super Bowl champion. Uh, You can also read uh, his contributions to the Vegas Stats and Information Network's NFL betting guide that is out now. Everyone can check out, help you get ready for the fall. Uh, Michael Lombardi joining us here on the podcast. Michael, how you doing? I am great. Thank you. Happy summer, Mike. Hope all is well. 
I, I appreciate that. And, and we want to talk plenty of ball with you as we've got this coming out. And certainly plenty in the news with the NFL with a lot of these suspensions related to gambling amongst players right now. But my favorite part about turning to your timeline uh, in the offseason, Michael, is seeing the basketball takes that you fire off. You're always <laughs> knee deep in it. You've got a lot of opinions on this. And we've been talking all morning about James Harden opting in and now seeking a trade partner with the 76ers. So uh, what do you expect from this scenario here? Are, are you surprised that it has gone this direction so quickly with James Harden in Philadelphia? Well, no, not really. I mean, I think Daryl Morey, you know, he spends a lot of time at the, you know, at, at, at up in Boston at the, you know, the analytic convention, and yet he violated one of his biggest rules, which was bias. He was biased towards only trading Simmons for Harden, and he, and he didn't make a great deal, let's be clear here. You know, he traded a bunch of players along with two first-round picks, one of them slightly unprotected. And now he's got to deal this player again in a market that isn't as robust as he would hope it would be. It's going to be interesting to see and tally up the effect of the hardened uh, play in Philadelphia. You know, look, I, I think when you take the reason I love basketball so much is because when you're one, you learn more one step removed from your own sport. So team building is important and understanding how to put the pieces together. A basketball team's like a rock and roll band. You gotta have pieces that fit and work around one another. And I think you learn a lot studying the NBA. And unfortunately, I have been a lifelong 76er fan. I've been to 76er rehab multiple times and have come out <laughs> and still go back to rehab. I violate it all the time. I've been scorned by multiple draft picks, passing up Paul Pierce for Larry Hughes, you know, uh, not taking Chris Weber or Penny Hardaway, and we take Sean Bradley. Not that I'm bitter about any of this, but, you know, so I, I've put a lot of divestedness into this, right? So. I kind of have watched it and they have been a franchise going nowhere since Moses Malone and Dr. J led them to a title, partly because they don't understand culture. Well, actually, just a quick follow up. We're talking about value. What do you hope to get back for James Harden? That's a great, great question. I think Maury's going to have to really work some magic to do that. Now, let's be clear here. I think partly the reason Harden didn't get – I think somebody in the in the 76ers organization said we're not paying Harden because I think clearly Maury has a love affair for Harden, and yet you can't justify it. Like, you can't sit there and watch 76er games and say, I'm going to give this guy four-year max contract because you know in two years you're going to be eating a bad contract. If you can see the future, why would you go down that road? So for me, I think this is the best case scenario for Philadelphia, because if he opted out, they would have no ability to get anything back. But he couldn't opt out because he knows there's no market for him at 35 million. I mean, that's the reason he opted back in is to protect himself. And so it just tells you that water seeks its level, that the value of these players is coming down because of the new CBA and the effects of almost a hard cap in the NBA. And I think the owners are saying, look, wait a minute, we're, I don't want to go over the luxury tax and guarantee these contracts for future years when it really hinders me and it puts me in a horrible position. So uh, I, that's a great question. I don't know what they're going to get back. I think it's going to be a lot less than most people expect. And then when you tally up what they got for Simmons, once you figure out this hardened trade, they're going to realize they made a lot of mistakes. It's going to be fascinating to watch, and I think, Michael, you can appreciate as a 76ers fan, this all feels a lot more urgent because Joel Embiid, while he's 29 coming off his first MVP with all the injuries in his past, it does feel like the clock is constantly ticking, and I don't know, maybe once you let Jimmy Butler leave town, you waved goodbye to the best possible running mate that you were going to have for him in this era. Well, they, you know, one of the hardest things to do in any sport, Mike, is to evaluate your own team. And they misevaluated it. I mean, they went from having an incredible, they traded, they made a great trade when they traded for Jimmy Butler. They traded uh, Sarich and Robert Covington. You know, and the town of Philly went berserk because Covington was allegedly an all all NBA defender, which he really wasn't, but he made the team. And Sart was like a six man who was a good player, not a great player. They, they made a great trade, but then they made a horrible decision. You know, they traded for Tobias Harris. You know, which really was the problem because they gave up that first round pick that they got when they traded Mikel Bridges, right? So Mikel Bridges was a 76er for all of 15 minutes until somebody in their front office, one of their owners, said, you know, Zaire Smith is just as good as, as, as Mikel Bridges. 
and you know we'll get a first round pick for him. We should make that trade. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Right. And so they do that. But you could you could really almost have a thirty for thirty documentary on the real 76er issues going back to Sam Hinkie, the start of the process, and then every bad decision they've made along the way. And then it leads you to Embiid, which I, I have a lot of conflict with Embiid, not because I don't think he's a great player, but because I think he doesn't maximize his true ability and his true potential because he's not in elite shape. He's not uh, he's not going to carry the team like Jokic can carry his team. So there's a false narrative out there. You know, everybody says he's this the best player in the league, but yet Denver wouldn't trade Jokic for him. So I, I think there's a little bit of that. And and you're right. The window's closing on Daryl Morey and he's going to have to figure out how he's going to get out of the checkmate that he put himself into. The balance right now in the NBA, uh, we're just getting into that free agent period, so we'll have plenty more of that that you can hear about uh, on the GM Shuffle, along with all the great NFL information. And, and Michael, you mentioned value. I feel like we've seen the most vocal contingency of running backs publicly talking about their diminished value that we've had in quite some time. Why do you think we've heard more from these guys than we have in the past? Is there any real going back from where we've seen the running back market find itself now? Well, you know, Mike, I think there's a little bit of a false narrative on this conversation, right? So this year, there's 10 running backs making 10 million or more in the league. Last year, there were three. The year before that, there were three. So this is the most $10 million players that have ever happened in the league. And it's not everybody wants to blame the owners. It's not the owners. It's the running backs have a hard time getting a second contract. They have a hard time, you know, at 27, 28, then rekindling their ability and then coming back and hitting it again like quarterbacks do, which drives up their franchise number. So I do think they're undervalued. I think like Austin Eckler, for Keenan Allen to make more than Austin Eckler, to me is wrong. Keenan Allen averages 10 yards a catch. He's a really good player. But Austin Eckler is, you know, almost averaging, he's averaged over nine yards a catch. Last year, he was below that. He runs the ball. He's a dynamic player in the red zone. I don't think you can pay a running back who's just a runner, right? He has to have an impact in the passing game. And like Saquon Barley, Barkley averaged under seven yards a catch last year. That that That's not going to be good enough. Because if you're only on the field to run the ball, all running does in the NFL is allow you to kick field goals. You've got to make explosive plays. You've got to make chunk plays. And that happens in the passing game. And so there's a little bit of this cross-section, right? So Nick Chubb's an incredible player. He's making $12 million a year. Alvin Kamara averages almost over nine yards a catch. He makes nine, $11 million a year. So there's really not been that, okay, I would rather pay a back than a – like I would rather pay Dalvin Cook $9 million than pay Hopkins 14 or 15 because Dalvin Cook's going to do more for my team. That's just my opinion. I don't know what other people would do. But Hopkins is a controlled possession receiver who can convert third downs, whereas Dalvin Cook can convert third downs and make explosive plays. No, it's exactly right, and I know those two have kind of tried to position this as maybe they'd be paired together. Dalvin Cook tried to speak that into existence, but you're right in that the versatility, I think, as much as anything for a weapon on offense and the different ways that you can stuff the stat sheet and create options look no further than everything that goes on inside Kyle Shanahan's offense with all of those incredibly versatile pieces that are able to affect the game in a bunch of different ways. So I do, do you see... Because you're right in the way it currently is utilized right now, but we've seen in the last couple of years between what Philadelphia has done, New York and their rushing attack and the emphasis there, Dallas for years prior, the 49ers. It, it, are we kind of seeing an inflection point where as the league spread out and got smaller as a passing league for so long that it might accordion a little bit and put more of an emphasis on what your running back can do trying to beat teams up inside? You know, uh, go back to a basketball correlation. I, I was sitting behind the B Chicago Bulls bench with, with Bill Belichick. I wrote about this in Gridiron Genius, and it was an incredible learning experience for me because we're sitting behind the bench, and Phil Jackson's the coach, and Lenny Wilkins is the coach of the Cavaliers. And so when Lenny Wilkins would substitute, Jackson would do that great whistle that he had. I couldn't do it, but he would put two fingers in his mouth and whistle. And he would move Pippen from the three to the four and Jordan from the two to the three and kind of move players around. And then all of a sudden, Lenny would have to resubstitute. So what does that teach me at that moment? It taught me that when you have versatile players 
that can change, that can play multiple positions. You end up substituting without substituting. That's the key to winning in sports. Substitute without substituting. Because the NFL is no longer first, second, or third down. It's all about what is the personnel grouping on the field. So this nonsense about, well, he can play on first down. First down's pass too, right? Like a linebacker. I don't judge a linebacker. Can he play on first, second, or third down? I judge a linebacker by what formations does he have to come off the field? Does he stay on when they're in 11 personnel? Does he stay on when they're in 12? Does he have to come off the field in 13? What happens? Like what personnel group can I dictate to get him off the field? You can't now Parsons, you can't get off the field no matter what personnel groups you put out there. That's an elite player. So when you can substitute without substitute, San Francisco, McCaffrey's a running back. Oh no, he's in the slot. Okay, how do we handle that? When the Patriots had Gronk and Hernandez, they were a 12 team in theory, but they easily could have been an 11 team. They could have been a 10 team. They could have been a 21 team. And they didn't have to substitute. So the defense coordinator is overlooking at his play sheet saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. They're in, wait a, oh, where is Hernandez? Where is Gronk? Okay, where's the, who's the back? Remember in the Super Bowl when they played the Rams, Wade Phillips didn't, didn't change his personnel groupings or his, his defensive personnel by the personnel groupings, only by the back. And I think that was really telling. And that's the game we play today. And so when you have multidimensional players like the Chicago Bulls have, where they can move around, the other coach becomes playing one step behind. Well, we obviously know styles make fights. And you wrote about the importance of coaching in the gambling guide. But you also have the Bengals over the Chiefs coming out of the AFC Championship. How does that make sense when it comes to Andy Reid and Zach Taylor? Yeah, you're a great point. Yeah, you're calling me out on my shit, aren't you? Yeah, there you go. Uh, you know, look, <laughs> I, I think I, I think when I put those when I when I I was trying to think differently when you when you put those things in because look, what what does history teach us about playoff teams? That usually 50 percent of the playoff teams that went one year don't come back the next year. So I like the Bengals team. What worries me about the Bengals is they're going to go through a little bit of a change defensively. They lost some key players defensively. I think Lou Amaromo is a great coach. I think he holds it together really well. He doesn't get enough credit for it. You know, he didn't get the Arizona job was the only interview he had. But I, I think he's really a good coach. And I think Burrow's kind of great. And I think they play one personnel grouping a lot, but yet they are multidimensional. Uh, the Chiefs, to me, it, it, I think it's hard to repeat in the NFL. I think it's hard to constantly do that. So I think Cincinnati's prime. I mean, they were close last year to winning the damn thing. I mean, they, they had the – I mean, if we if just think about this. If they call false start on the Rams in that playoff game, the, the, the Bengals might have been the world champs that year. You know, now with Cooper Cup got a pass interference called against them. But that play should have never gotten off. The fall, There was a false start by the left tackle on that play. So – I don't know. I like the Bengals, but what worries me, the Bengals have started the last two years, five and four. And then the second half of the season, they have really generated and have become a great team. I, 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 can they do that again? We'll see. It is fascinating in the Vegas stats and info guide for the upcoming NFL season, 11 of the 20 analysts who were asked had the Bengals coming out and not only making it out of the AFC, but winning the Super Bowl in this guide. So you've got great company, an incredibly talented roster. But like you said, trying to do a little bit of that remaking on the back end, especially of their defense that we saw Kansas City able to pull off last year with some young players there. Uh, Michael, before we let you go, I did want to ask you about one thing because we had the news coming out about more gambling suspensions in the NFL amongst players who had been in some cases placing bets on the NFL and received that season-long uh, suspension, and in other cases being suspended for violating other specific rules, gambling on other sports, but on team property, uh, the way that we've seen affect a player like Nicholas Petit-Friere, the offensive tackle for the Tennessee Titans. So I want to go back to when you were inside these NFL organizations, inside these buildings, before gambling was legalized. Was this something that was still talked about? Were there still guidelines and things you tried to tell players about as an organization to educate them? Or is this a totally new problem that the NFL is having to combat with their guys right now? I, I think it's more of a new problem, Mike, because technology has made it a new problem. When I was in the league in 1984, I started in 84, and you know we didn't have 
you know, iPhones. We didn't have satellite radios. We didn't have any of that stuff. So we didn't have that instantaneous communication. Guys went to meetings. They paid attention, you know, where they fell asleep still. But, they, they, you know, it was a different world. Today, you know, it's a, more of a challenge. And I, and I think, you know, you can go out on any street and watch people looking at their phones as they're walking down the street. So it's part of our life. And you've got to adjust to it. I think the players have to, you know, they can say they weren't aware of the the problems, but they had to be. I mean, the NFL now is trying to make sure we're going to live in a world where gambling exists and we're going to have to make sure that there's integrity within our game because that's really important. So I, I think you have to really spend a lot of time educating the players. Look, if you want to do this, you can't have it on your phone. You can't do it at the facility. You're not going to bet on our team. I mean, Rogers bet on his own team on the over under on the running back prop. I mean, that's not a good look for the league. And I and I think the league is smart to take action on it. Remember, you know, the, the owners are getting so much crap about, well, you know, it's a double standard. You know, they, they take in this gambling money and yet they're suspending the players. No, the players benefit from the gambling money too. Let's not kid ourselves. Mm -hmm. Everything gets into a pool and the revenue streams get shared. It isn't the owners are grabbing all the money at the table. Now they're not, look, nobody's crying poor for them. I understand that. But this is all revenue drained to make the player salaries continue to rise at this high level and the television networks to continue to pay at a high level. So the commissioner's right to take action. I think you could argue about how long he suspends people for, but I think it's an awareness issue and you have to constantly do it. I, I If I were still in the league, at the door to enter the facility would be a giant sign and saying, don't have betting apps on your phone. So they see it every day. I completely agree. And to your point about the length of the suspensions, this feels like when the NFL's got a new penalty they're trying to emphasize in preseason, and we see flags everywhere early on in this, and it's an eyesore, and it slows down the games, and everyone complains, but it sends a pretty clear message that this is what we're going after, and this is what we're not going to tolerate, and... 11 suspensions now later, it, it seems like the NFL has made that abundantly clear. Um, Michael, we appreciate all the time today. Everyone, make sure you check out the GM Shuffle. Follow him on Twitter at MLombardiNFL. And check out the Vegas Stats and, uh, Vegas Stats and Info Network's NFL betting guide for the upcoming season where you can read Michael as well. Uh, appreciate the time. We'll talk to you soon. Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And Brandon, I think he's spot on there with the gambling. And he mentioned Isaiah Rogers. I still need to know because Isaiah Rogers, the cornerback and kick returner for the Colts, who has now been released along with the other player on the team uh, who was caught gambling and suspended for the season. Yeah, he was. It was the bet was on the over under on a yeah. running back's rushing total on their team. I need to know whether it was the over or the under because that does change I, the way that I think about this a little bit. Like if he's I betting on the over, you don't care if he's betting on the over, Brandon. He at least has confidence in his boy. That matters to me, Mike. The fact that the bet hit is the problem. He's paid, it was a thousand dollar bet on the over under and it hit. So over or under is not important as much as the fact that an actual player on the team won money. From privileged information. Well, oh no, that's that's the actual problem. You're right. And that's the whole crux of this. It's why we can be the most pro-player podcast on earth. And Lord knows I like to think we are one of the more pro-player podcasts. I want to see all these guys succeed. I will always argue on behalf of the players. But this is a situation where it seems pretty cut and dry and understandable that yes, you've got more information than anybody here. And for everyone watching, even if you weren't watching with gambling in your mind, even if you're not a fan that's taking part in gambling, if you're someone who just watches as a fan and wants to believe we hear integrity of the game thrown around all the time in a way that's disingenuous but here it actually matters and so the step from oh well you've got privileged information to well someone's able to affect that privileged information while more difficult in football than almost every other sport is a road you just don't want to go down at all so yes that is the problem but I still kind of want to know if he believed in his guy or not. If you're placing a bet on belief in your brother, I am willing maybe a little bit more to look the other way than if all of a sudden you're the guy at the craps table betting the do not pass line and thwart and everybody's fun. To me, there's a big difference in that just from a team standpoint. Sound the trumpets, it's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. 
Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIT. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DKHorse.com. All right, Brandon, uh, time to land the plane like we always do, uh, which, by the way, I know we had that conversation yesterday about the male audacity to believe that you could land a commercial plane with only air traffic control in your ears. Alyssa Lang, uh, one of our friends over at the SEC Network, had posed that question to a bunch of guys and got an overwhelming amount of yeses, including from your boy, because I won't apologize for being built different. (laughs) But it did bring up to me, Brandon, this idea of the things, especially men, we're like blessed with this dumb, irrational, completely unearned confidence in areas we have no experience with. It's yeah. why I think so many men gravitate towards golf, because none of us are putting the work in necessary to ah. actually earn the right to feel good about it. And yet we expect to because we buy enough gear or watching enough on TV or whatever it is. Right. And it got me to thinking of the thing that you've been most irrationally confident about in your life at Gojo Show on Twitter. Because I, I remembered this yesterday, Brandon, when I was doing the 4 to 6 a.m. morning show with Robin Lundberg at ESPN, uh, first and last, for anyone who was a truck driver or a football coach back then. Um, I once did an hour-long caller segment, and I believed to my core, Brandon, that if you put me in front of a full-grown deer and it said one of you is leaving, one of you is dying, that it wasn't going to be me doing the dying, that I had a perfect game plan, a perfect fight plan to walk in and make sure I was taking down a deer. I don't know if you've got anything comparable to that that you've been confident about, but I promise I argued tooth and nail with caller after caller that I would be able to beat that deer. Okay, Mike, we talking about a buck or a fawn? I would prefer a fawn just because the buck having the antlers does feel a little bit unfair. But yeah. if you need to have that to make me feel like a man, then yes, I'll figure out a way around the antlers. I- I'm with you, Mike. I-, I would think that one of them hooves, if they catch you in the, in the right place, take some skin off, knock you out, then you you know you got to keep them hands low. But I-, I like I like you against the deer. I do like the deer better. Now me against the deer, you know, RIP to Bambi and and, and uh, the family. Um, but yes, I I am like you, Mike, in that mind of like, like it's like the Dragon Ball Z syndrome. I can only beat something once I am defeated by it. So I need to be in the ring with the thing just to have a chance to survive. Like I famously said, I'd love to fight a bear, uh, declawed. And my brother thinks I'm insane. And I was like, well, how else will I be strong enough to beat a bear if I don't fight a bear? <laughs> D I love the D clawed asterisk at the bottom of the screen right there. Just a casual one there. Still, I, 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 Oh God. Yeah. Brandon, while I disagree, I understand where the confidence comes from. That's the whole idea of the exercise at Gojo show on Twitter for everyone involved. Let's get to this, that, and the third Brandon, uh, three quick stories to finish off everyone's day on here and go into the weekend, listening to us be freaking morons. Um, Brandon, let's start off with this. Uh, uh, one of our other producers, Isaiah last night, uh, got to go check out the aces versus the Liberty, the first matchup of the WNBA super teams since the start of this season. And, the aces appear still terrifying. Uh, this game was not overly close. The Las Vegas Aces move on to now a 14-1 and record in the WNBA in first place. They win 98-81 in a game where, Brandon, I think the scariest part is across the board you look... Everyone in the Aces starting five was in double figures. No one was over 20 points, Mm. meaning it was evenly distributed. Anybody could give it and anybody could receive it in that lineup uh, against that Liberty team. So scary sight for a team that's trying to go back to back and looks like they've got a real strong chance to do it, led by Kelsey Plum and company. Yeah, as much as I love uh, my Sparks in L.A., I cannot wait to see Asia Wilson in person and Kelsey Plum do their thing for the Aces because that team is just so fun. And also talk about, like, feet heat asia wilson's shoes like not every shoe hits hers are fly yeah and oh by the way a long time coming that we've seen the ladies in the w getting representation in the sneaker game so love to see it love to support it 
Brandon, let's get to that. Um, our sweet, large Japanese son, Shohei Itani, continues to beat baseballs to their ultimate and untimely demise uh, and set records in the process. And the Tungsten Arm O'Doyle meme tweet continues to have its most dominant run in history. So Shohei Itani the other night hit a two-run shot in the game and in the process witnessed more history fall in Major League Baseball. It was his 14th home run in the month of June passing Babe Ruth for the most homers by a player who also started games as a pitcher in that same month. Shohei hit 394 this month with 14 home runs, 28 RBI, and beat uh, Babe Ruth by hitting that two-run shot in the ninth inning. But this is where the Tungsten Armo Doyle meme comes in, where Shohei Itani can set as many records as he wants to. The inevitability of the Angels is too much. This was the sentence in an article written by, and I want to give proper credit to, uh, Frankie Tadeo in, uh, of Sports Illustrated. Despite this historic moment, the two ways talent to run, excuse me, the two-way talent's two-run ninth-inning blast was unable to prevent the Angels from losing their second straight game to Chicago. The 9-7 loss dropped the Halos to 22-18 at home this season and 44-39 on the year. Now, they are still, like we talked about, in the playoff hunt right now, got a big decision to make leading up to the trade deadline about what they're going to do with Shohei. But Brandon, this man continues to do the impossible at every possible turn. We probably don't talk about Shohei Itani's greatness enough, but this just another freakish moment undermined by the Angels' angelness. Yeah, I feel like we do talk about Shohei's greatness, but it's one of those things we talk about LeBron's greatness. It's like, yeah, yeah, okay, but what else? You know, like I, I'm a little bit upset that he beat Babe Ruth's record because uh, he subsured. Uh, usurped excuse me uh, another minority uh in that you know i hate to see that happen uh minority on minority crime but uh i think if any <laughs> we can all agree that shohei is going to be shohei for a long time to come best pitcher yeah, best hitter i can say and everyone thought that that pitching comportion was eventually going to fall by the wayside that eventually he was going to have to pick one and we keep going on and we keep seeing a guy do unbelievable thing I think he right now is either top three or leads the majors in opponent opponent batting average he currently leads the majors or at least the American in home runs so he's been sensational every step of the way and he does it my favorite possible way I've always maintained my favorite part of sports is watching bigger faster stronger be better than everybody else I'm not often here for the little guy or the person with less physical ability like me I want to see the big freak and that is a large young man who consistently hits baseballs like Mario with a charged up bat in Super Smash Brothers it makes the mm. sweet sound and it makes the ball go far far away uh Brandon let's get to the third uh we got news yesterday delivered by JJ Watt that he's going to be joining the desk at CBS this coming uh fall as part of their NFL studio coverage here and Brandon you're the resident comedian on the show and former defensive lineman and so I have to imagine you were a little bit disappointed by jj watt who tried to do this news in a two-part video where first he put out a video saying he was taking a job at cvs this upcoming fall here how badly did that hurt not only you but the pride of defensive linemen everywhere Unfortunately, it's status quo, uh, par for the course when it comes to J.J. Watt and his corniness. I really, really, really try to give him the benefit of the doubt because he's just a, you know, he's a good spokesperson for D lineman. I'll say that because we get a, we get the dumb, unentertaining type of uh, moniker. A lot of us seen as divas, where he is just like the Russell Wilson of D lineman, right? So I respect that, and I love that he's everywhere, Mike. But this is just. I, this is a look at me, Lou, in a way that I haven't seen since he announced that he went to the Taylor Swift concert like anyone cares. I, well, you know what? I was going to say J.J. Watt post-retirement really actually has been, I think, a better version of himself. I would even go all the way back to the match from last year where he was a part of the coverage of Charles Barkley. I thought the two of them really did well together. By the way, uh, shout out to Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey for holding yeah. it down for the football side and winning the match against the Splash Brothers yesterday there. Steph Curry had to be beside himself. Clearly, he is the best golfer of that group. Steph's an incredible golfer, really involved in the sport, and watch Clay Thompson just refuse to shoot show up Draymond was chirping him there him and Von Miller were down there doing the sideline stuff from the golf cart there but football getting a lot of bragging rights over the basketball crowd so congratulations to them congratulations to JJ Watt and uh our deepest apology this is a bump in the road what I believe is on a path to the best JJ Watt that we have seen if you, you thought 
This was the best podcast you had seen or heard. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us a five-star rating. Check us out on the DraftKings YouTube channel as well. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. Go, go. Boom. Money in the bank.